Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian. This podcast version of our interview is brought to you by L3 Technologies. Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian here at the Farnborough International Air Show at this historic airfield about 30 miles southwest of London, uh, bringing together leaders from government, military, industry, as well as aircraft from all around the world for this centenary anniversary of the Royal Air Force, the world's first independent air force. Our coverage here is sponsored by Farnborough International and Leonardo DRS, and we're honored to be here on the Raytheon uh, Fabuplex, as far as I could tell, with the, the Cyber Dome and missiles with John Harris, the CEO of Raytheon International. John, I'm glad we're finally getting an opportunity to talk on camera. Absolutely a pleasure to be with you, uh, Vago, and uh, great to be here in Farnborough. Uh, it's, it's tremendous. Uh, it's uh, midway through day three. Uh, you you uh, belong to a company that's always prided itself on metrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember sitting with Bill Swanson uh, as well as Tom Kennedy and talking to him about you know engagements, uh, how it's going. You're among the busiest people at the show as well as the team has been buzzing. How productive an air show has this been for you guys? So this has been an extremely productive air show. Uh, during the course of the last couple of days, we've had well over 400 meetings. Uh, with over 30 delegations from 32 different countries, um, had the opportunity to engage not only with senior members of government, but also a number of our industry partners, which fundamentally is a part of making us relevant, capable, uh, and providing solutions to our customers in an environment where they don't want just what we have, but they want what they need. Um, and, and to that end, let me, let me talk to you a little bit about um, uh, some of, uh, wh- where are you seeing the greatest interest in your products, right? I mean, so you're overseeing a global portfolio that has everything, uh, or I should say uh, a global territory with everything that's in the, in the Raytheon portfolio. Walk us through sort of market by market by market. You know, what, where are you seeing, what are you seeing, what's in greatest demand in Europe? Uh, I, I think there are going to be some common themes because there is a stack of missiles that are standing behind you that are going to be attractive across the board. Let's start in Europe. Where do you see the most traction? What are what are the in the conversations you're having? What are the kinds of systems that folks over in Europe are interested in getting from Raytheon? Right. So really, um, what we've brought here to our pavilion is is basically those things are that are top of mind with our customers, um, and we're featuring those capabilities and have demonstrations right over my right shoulder here. Uh, whether it's missile defense, uh, where our customers are looking for the capacity to defend their sovereignty in a very dynamic and stressing environment from tactical to, to, to uh, strategic ballistic missile defense. Uh, aerodominance, the ability to sense, uh, to detect, track, um, and then command uh, guide capabilities, whether it's precision guided munitions or air-to-air missiles or ISR platforms uh, to do that. And then finally, the command and control that connect all of that together we feature. And then finally, uh, because everything needs to be connected in order to provide integrated solutions to meet our customers' needs. We also feature cyber here, which is a core element of our growth strategy, uh, because the more we become connected, the more we are vulnerable. So putting in place not only the ability to connect and make informed decisions, making sure that those networks are be able to be stress tested uh, and resilient, uh, and that, that there's information assurance day in and day out so that they can make informed, meaningful, and on-point decisions. Um, and uh, to uh, drive that point home, right, Tom Kennedy um, has really driven the cyber strategy of the company. The company always had a cyber uh, component to it, but Tom's really driven that to try to take it to the next level and move cyber, as he's said so often, right into the fundamental earliest design phase of a system as opposed to making cyber an applique uh, onto that, even though there is a lot of profit to be made in the applique solutions that have to happen across the board on this. Um, as you look at all the different markets in the world, um, is there any particular systems that you think has particular traction 
region in Europe uh, or in the Middle East or in Asia. As you look at you know the span and, and you put on uh, more frequent flyer miles, I think, than you really would like to uh, more often than not. Um, talk to us about you know what products have more traction in different parts yeah, of the I world. Mean, so if we kind of take a quick walk around the world, right. uh, here in Europe, uh, as in nations are making informed decisions about uh, increasing their spend uh, to revitalize their cap capability in a very dynamic market, uh, they're looking for solutions in command and control, they're looking for missile defense, uh, they're looking for tools and resources around air dominance. Uh, ISR is a big deal for them. Uh, the effect, the ability to then put, make informed decisions on how to prosecute the mission uh, is important. Training, mission support, uh, and cyber. Um, when you go to the Middle East, the very same thing holds true. Uh, they need to have the wherewithal to, make, to understand and have situational awareness in their region and then have an interconnected capability to detect, uh, to categorize, uh, and deter. Uh, um, demands in their in their marketplace. The finally in, in in the Far East, the very same thing holds true. Air dominance right. figures prominently in our process. Um, missile defense, uh, whether you look at um, threats from rogue nations uh, and also peer peer threats as well. Uh, Japan is now looking to bring to bear uh, Aegis ashore uh, and a me meaningful, sophisticated missile defense capacity that we have a meaningful play in, as well as Australia that are looking to upgrade their capacity uh, for their troops in action uh, to provide them with the defense. Integrated air and missile defense now is uh, something of significant interest to the Australians and we're there as partners with our landed company uh, to help them to be successful. Um, but you know, you talked about the importance of partnership and uh, you guys have always prided yourself on having about 25% of the company uh, is uh, of revenue is, comes from international. Uh, I know you were interested in growing that. Where do you guys fall roughly now in terms of what the international revenue is? Because I remember Bill talking about it. It was strong then and he was focused on growing it. And I know Tom Kennedy has controlled, uh, continued that. And, and in fact, that's your charge. Right, so uh, my charge uh, since I've been in this job is basically to change the game with respect to the growth uh, um, of our international business. I'm happy to say this past year, 32% of our revenue was international, 40% of our backlog is international, uh, and we also uh, were able to uh, successfully achieve a 14th consecutive year of international growth in our sales. And uh, it really is about focus of putting to bear uh, the right resources, with the right capability and authority to partner with our, our allied nations, with the U.S. government's allied nations, and provide meaningful, bespoke capability to them. Uh, when we've done that and look at a country as a market with multiple customers, we've now seen the opportunity to deliver more capability, even in those nations where we've been there for some some uh, long time. Give you a case in point, Raytheon. Uh, just recently uh, created a, a new landed company, wholly owned company in Saudi Arabia, Raytheon Saudi Arabia. That is about building uh, a continued resource and capacity in the kingdom after celebrating 50 years of partnership in that region. That gives us a, a stake as being a meaningful part of the Saudis uh, industrial complex to help with their diversification, but also strengthen our position as a partner with the, with the kingdom. The same holds true in the Emirates, where we celebrated 30 years of uh, partnership uh, in the United Emirates. Uh, we just also recently established a landed company there. So in addition to that, uh, building these two new uh, capacities uh, to further along our globalization strategy, we continue to focus and make sure that our capabilities here, for example, in UK, where our company has been here close to 100 years, 
of not only making sure that they have the capability to reach back, but also the resources and the capacity to grow organic cap capability and capacity here. Because in, in the case here in the UK, uh, there's a re-look re and refresh with respect to uh, the nation's capability to defend in a much more stressing environment and we're looking to help them through partnerships. Um, and uh, and uh, Chris Davis uh, deserves a lot of credit. Uh, you know, managed that portfolio in the UAE for uh, the company for a very, very long time before he got a, uh, a well-earned uh, promotion uh, right. from uh, from that post. And, and your predecessor in the job, Tom Culligan, a giant who uh, was, was so well-known on, on all international cir uh, cir uh, circuits um, to try to help give you that sort of uh, unprecedented 14-year uh, track record of growth. Um, when it comes to partnerships, though, like the ones you're talking about. Mohammed bin Salman has set very, very tough standards, as has Mohammed bin Zayed in the UAE, about domestic growth and technology transfer and growth of both Saudi Arabia and UAE as, as more prominent defense players. We've heard the same thing from Qatar, uh, working to develop uh, their indigenous capabilities. Um, talk to us about the challenge and the opportunity in doing that. At the end of the day, um, you know, uh, no major American defense contractor uh, wants to take risk, in part because your name is, is on that product at the end of the day. Um, talk to us about how you're working with countries that want to grow, want to pick up some of this load, they want value work, they don't want build to print at the end of the day, another challenge when you're dealing with weapons of, of this sophistication but also classification level. How are you working with customers to try to do this? Because I remember having long conversations with Bill about offset things that tended to not work out over time and, and may have been exciting and interesting but ultimately were not the kind of mutually rewarding relationship right, so folks wanted. This is what I would tell you. We are moving from kind of an episodic one-off approach to offsets um, to much more of a systemic uh, um, going concern. Okay, uh, Our interest is in investing in capacity uh, not to just meet a, a one-off or a, a short-term need, but an ability to be a meaningful part of our global supply chain. That's what our plan is, and that's the difference in our approach today than perhaps in the past. We want to build lasting capacity. We want to build on the trust and respect that we've earned over the past 50 years in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and use that, that, that great reputation to build upon that and be considered a beacon of capability in the kingdom. The same holds true in, in uh, the Emirates. We're looking to build capacity so that they can not only build to print, but also design and develop, manufacture and sustain uh, capabilities on their own as a landed company. And we have two great success stories already to use as a model for that. Raytheon UK, where we have over 1,600 jobs here, uh, there, where they're providing a discriminating, capable system. They're a world leader, for example, in the design and development of um, uh, GPS anti-jam um, uh, resistant uh, GPS antennas, where they've developed that capacity here, and they're now exporting that to other nations. We want that to be the commonplace practice, so that the investments we make in our um, our organizations are ones that have lasting effect. Um, let me uh, ask you um, another partnership. There's a fascinating air-to-air uh, -air missile there, which is both large and unique in design. Talk to us a little bit about that right, system. So that, so that gives you. A, so here's another thing we've been up to, right? Because it's it's a lot less uh, about delivering what we have, 
it's a lot more about figuring out how we can solve our customers' problems using a dispassionate systems approach to solving problems. Uh, and so what, we, we, what we've been at, at uh, over the past few years is as we take the time to listen to our customers about what it is their key care abouts and the outcomes they're looking for with respect to capability, our job is to find how to put that solution together, resolve issues with respect to time and cost and risk, and provide uh, a, a, a very capable system in place. One example of that is the partnership we have with Raphael, uh, where uh, we are now in the process uh, in, in cooperation uh, with the Polish government uh, to have the opportunity to develop a next generation uh, ballistic missile defense interceptor um, called Skyceptor. And that is about uh, taking uh, a system that was originally designed uh, by Raphael in Israel, uh, the David Sling, and adapting that for and integrating it into our Patriot system, again, to provide our customers alternatives that meet their specific demands. It also gives a, an ability for us to work that process and integrate it in partnership with Polish industry to then develop capability in that nation that can now be adapted and used for other customers worldwide. Another great example of that where we were able to, again, listen to our customers domestically, where the U.S. Navy was looking for a next generation over the horizon surface-to-surface um, um, -surface strike weapon, where we partnered uh, and uh, leveraged our longstanding 50-year relationships with, with Kongsberg out of Norway and brought to bear a system called a naval strike missile uh, to adapt that proven capability because it answers a question our customers have, have and we can do so in a trusted and respected way. So it is, it is about finding the right answer, whether it's within the confines of our company or the confines of any number of our suppliers and partners. And that's what our future looks like. Um, you've been most generous with your time, so I have two uh, uh, quick questions. Uh, question number one is uh, elasticity of the supply chain. Um, the Pentagon is uh, talking a lot more about mobilization. It's trying to think about what happens in a great power competition, what are sources of supply. Obviously, uh, we're waiting for the industrial strategy, the 13806, to come from the White House. Uh, we talked to Eric Tuning a little bit earlier in the week, and he you know, said, look, it's around the corner, but he gave us a sketch, and I know you're familiar with that and have gotten some of those briefings. Um, as you look at this global supply chain that's uh, both supplying you, um, is contributing meaningfully to Raytheon products, uh, big small, uh, as you said, or entirely new. Um, you know, when, when the only system you didn't mention is a shout out to the laser system that you guys developed. And we talked to Evan Hunt from Rick Hughes' team and talked a little bit about that. Um, you know, how, how much capacity... We only have so much time together, Bob. We only have so much time together. Uh, how much capacity, extra capacity is there in this global supply base? Because I remember Bill telling me many years ago, look, this is a tremendous strength because in the event we have to surge, there are so many different sources that we can draw on, not just what's at, what's at home. How do you see that as sort of a national force multiplier for you, that international partnership yeah. and cooperation? So, um, you know, during the course of my career, actually, I was responsible for supply chain for the organization. One of the things we put... One of the reasons I thought I should ask you that question. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was around uh, really changing the game with our supply chain and to create strategic alliances uh, and where in, in, a, in a very informed way we're significantly more transparent with our partners giving them a sense of where we want to go and uh, therefore give them an opportunity to make informed investments in their capability so they can be continue to be resilient and flexible with us so it's a lot less about um, surprise 
and shock and awe with respect to making demands on a supply base. It's a lot more about partnership and them having a common sense of purpose with respect to where we're going and more importantly, offering us alternatives on how to best get there. Uh, in the past, we might have been more you know, dic dictatorial with respect to what we wanted from them. Instead, again, taking that systems level approach let them understand what is this, the kinds of outcomes we're looking for from our suppliers and let them do the trades with us on alternatives that can be put in place either in new technology, uh, in uh, industrial uh, design, um, plant layout, investments in capital, that, such that they can provide kind of that flexibility we're looking at and, and also share with them what our long-term strategies and plans are. So as we form um, uh, new ventures with our customers, we do so in a way that gives us an opportunity to be that go-to resource, uh, a trusted advisor, uh, and an organization that can help to meet the needs of our customers in an environment that today uh, our customers are looking for the ability to flex, and we now have the wherewithal to do that and demonstrate it. And, and God forbid, in an emergency, to be able to surge as your customer needs more stuff. God forbid, in a in a crisis situation. Um, let me ask you the, the last question, which is which is uh, tough, and I've been asking everybody here, uh, and I mean it as apolitically as possible. There there is a transatlantic. Uh, uh, friction uh, that's ongoing right now. Um, there is, uh, you know, a, tr a trade war. Folks are working to try to uh, avert it. Uh, and in a time when, um, you know, the president has been very adamant and passionate about his message on America First, it is being received. And and in the language back and forth, you have folks in Europe saying, "Hey, look, if we're going to be spending more money, we ought to be spending that more money at home over in Europe, build up our capabilities." There are folks who look at the FCAS, uh, the Future Combat Air Strategy, that was unveiled by Prime Minister. May here on Monday, as well as uh, the uh, Gavin Williamson, the Secret uh, Defense Secretary, who I knew I think you spent time with uh, as well, and their message also was, "Hey, let's we have to focus on a sovereign UK capability." Every time you hear that, you know that folks want to start to spend their money at home to make sure that their industrial capacity remains strong. I know you're a trusted partner in that UK defense industrial uh, sphere. But do you have a concern? You know, Europe is a very important market for Raytheon. It has been for a very long time. Do you have any concerns that because of rhetoric or language uh, or message uh, that the, the two sides will sort of start to split apart? And when folks would like to have a Raytheon system to address a specific need, they may decide, hey, look, you know what, Raytheon, it's got an American name. Uh, the American president may not be as popular in my country as, as, as we'd like him to be, and so we're going to go to MBDA for that. Or, hey, there's uh, here there's one product that you guys are making. I'm going to go over to Saab for that radar system or something. Is there a concern, and what are some of the things that you guys are doing to try to make sure that those relationships stay intact and stay ported, pointed and aligned in an American or transatlantic or transalliance Vector. Yeah, so um, clear, clearly uh, uh, transatlantic cooperation is here to stay. Uh, and we intend to remain a vibrant part of that. Uh, I would tell you that uh, the indications from this administration, United States administration, uh, specifically in a national defense strategy, make it clear uh, that the strengthening the alliances of improving the ability to interoperate uh, and to collaborate with respect to uh, joint operations is of utmost importance. And as a consequence of that, we've been able to really, in a, in a way, engage differently with our customers and provide them alternatives. And so our job really is to take that time uh, to um, engage with our customers, as I've done uh, during the course of this week, as you remarked, uh, and give them uh, a meaningful opportunity to make sovereign choices 
uh, and informed ones with a view that, uh, and trades that, that afford them the opportunity to get the very best answer. And we intend to do that. And uh, we're actually quite encouraged uh, by way of the engagements we've had this week uh, that that possibility continues to be uh, one, a, a positive choice for us. John Harris, CEO of Raytheon International. Yep. It's always a pleasure, John, seeing Good you. See you Best of luck for the rest of the show and looking forward to it not being so long before we get a chance to talk again on camera. Thanks okay, very much, great. sir. Thanks. Thanks again, Vago. Great to be here in Farnborough. <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah.